Salutations and welcome to another episode of The Native Immigrants. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's happening, Jojo B? Hi. This week is a very different episode to what you'd normally hear here on The Native Immigrants due to what's happening right now in the world. It's obviously a, a crazy time with the global pandemic, which we're still under lockdown as of recording time. But on May the 25th, um, a gentleman by the name of George Floyd was killed uh, by the police under their custody. Um, he was handcuffed and lying face down on a street in Minneapolis in Minnesota. And an officer by the name of Derek Chauvin kept his knee on the right side of George's neck for, I think it was eight and a half minutes. And two and a half minutes of that occurred after Floyd was unresponsive. George Floyd was an African-American man. And this echoed the death of Eric Garner a number of years ago. Um, who repeatedly told officers that he couldn't breathe while in a chokehold and they didn't release the hold leading to his death, uh, much like George Floyd's this past week. This has obviously led to a massive outcry from um, initially the local Minnesota communities leading to peaceful protests, but escalating to full-scale rioting. And that has been echoed across a number of cities across the United States, uh, LA and New York included. Um, it also led to protests around the world, really, including here in London, um, just this past weekend. And we just had our show last week talking about mixed-race relationships with the black and south asian community coincidentally for us was very timely but when looking at our show and our podcasts and what to talk about this week i feel it was only right to not only address what's happened this past week um, but also continue the conversation from our show last week where discussing these relationships one thing that was core from our discussion was the anti-black sentiment amongst a lot of our community, the South Asian community, and what we could do, you know, as a collective community to help eradicate that. Um, and this past week, there's been um, a number of people talking about what's happened and, you know, trying to promote and push the Black Lives Matter movement. But what more can we do as our community, the South Asian community, to support our black brothers and sisters going through insane amounts of injustice over a number of years? You know, we've had so many instances like this that in, over my adult life, all the way from like Rodney King in the early 90s to this present day. It's horrific. And are we doing enough as a community? to help support the black community through this crisis? I think so far, no, we haven't. I think this past week or so, I've seen online 
a lot of introspection going on and a lot of you know facing the hard facts that our community mm. is anti-black in as a whole yeah um i'm not talking about any particular individuals but as a whole there is that sentiment and yes we did cover some of that last week and and that's why it's still such a taboo to have black and asian couples mm. you know and it's that kind of you know you see them in the street if you see a couple walking down the street and you kind of look and you go oh, that's not that's not a common sight mm. you know and that's the kind of thing I, i've done it in the past and i will hold my hands up to that and it is it hasn't been a common sight and the reason it hasn't been a common sight is because it's not tolerated by our elders mm -hmm. quite often it's not tolerated by our generation either mm. and i think that we need to all hold our hands up and say that we have not done our best and that we need to do better. And that's by educating ourselves. That's by talking to our black friends and our black colleagues mm -hmm. and understanding what the difficulties are and what, what we have not been doing mm. as a group of people that should be supporting another ethnic minority in this country. Yeah, And I think we are obsessed with whiteness in our culture in terms of fairness mm. and um and i think that pervades itself through our community in a way that then we then align ourselves to whiteness mm. rather than being comfortable with being around black people because we're not even comfortable with being around darker skinned people from our own community mm. you know and that comes from someone who's, you, I've got, my brother is uh, very dark skinned due to a illness that he has. Mm. And so this is an example of what we used to hear when we were kids. He's seven years older than me. He got ill when I was, just after I was born. Yeah, It's an endocrine um, system disease, which affects his skin color. So he had been, you know, fairly light-skinned when he was younger than when he got ill his um, skin turned a much darker color the same color that he used to be previously so you know fairly light-skinned when people used to see us together they didn't think that we were brother and sister those that did know that we were brother and sister used to come up to my brother and say now imagine this in Punjabi it sounds even worse but they used to say basically what happened to you you used to be so beautiful mm -hmm. when you were a child you know when you were little you were so gorgeous and i don't know what happened i don't know why god cursed you mm -hmm. and i used to sit there when i was really little just not understanding what was going on when i got a bit older i started to say no there's nothing wrong with him he's still the same person yeah you know there's nothing there's no difference in his skin color just because of his skin color there's no difference in who he is as a person but do you know what? I think those experiences probably did change him as a person because people would say that and quite openly say that and have no issue with saying that. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the time it was people who were older than my parents. And so my parents would feel a bit awkward about saying anything back. Yeah. Now, the thing that I've seen this week is people saying, actually, now we need to call out our elders. When we hear things like that, whether it be about a darker skinned person in our community or about the black community, we need to say, no, that's wrong. Yes. You do not judge someone by the color of their skin. Mm. The melanin in their skin does not define anything about them. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's not a reason to... Discriminate. Yeah, to discriminate, to have prejudice against someone. And I think that that's 
that's something that will take work. It will take, we will have to be continuous about that. That will not be just when someone says it this week because they've seen something on the news and it might not be what you like. So you, you call them out this week. That will be in a month's time, in a year's time, in 10 years time when people are saying these things because they will continue to say it. Yeah, exactly. You know, people don't just stop being discriminatory. It just doesn't work like that. We have to kind of teach them not to be. And we have to show them that they are being it because sometimes they, people are so used to being able to say something or saying something that they want to say that they don't hear themselves. Yeah, exactly. It's not an excuse. I'm not making excuses for people, but they just forget to hear what they are actually saying and how offensive that is. Yeah. And so sometimes you just need to hold a mirror up to them and say, look, these, this is what you're doing. This is what you're saying. And you need to stop. It's, it's whether like elders in our community are open-minded enough to to take those words into consideration and then implement change. We've spoken for 50 plus episodes on how so many of these people are so set in their ways and set in their ways of thinking. You know, we're talking about forced marriages and things happening within communities and how people don't talk up enough within the community. Hence the reason why a lot of this stuff is kind of brushed under the carpet and they just kind of carry on in society. You know, the same as attitudes towards the LGBTQ plus community, the same thing. Anti-blackness falls under that same umbrella. It needs our generation to be more vocal. It needs it needs our, our generation to be the forerunners with this you know the the people that implement the change across all facets of our society and it's it's easy enough to say oh but what have the black community done for us why should we be supporting them when we, when we were going through all our turmoils over the course of the number of years where were the black community to support us i'll take you all the way back to 40 plus years ago when there were a number of injustices happening in Southall, where I'm from, um, and I can talk at it from the perspective of my parents' generation, you know, we had the Southall riots of um, 79, and the number of black and Asian people that were fighting side by side against the far right, against discrimination, against oppression, it was a collective community, it was a collective thought process, and as we spoke on the last show, we were all classed as politically black in Bradford, um, the group of Asian revolutionaries there were known as the United Black Youth League. Uh, and if you look at all the, the T-shirts and slogans, it was always black power. They're called as coloured, obviously, back in the day. We were all classed as black. And people fought side by side during the biggest core time for our people here in the UK to, to stand up against so many atrocities that were happening across that time period. Our struggles have been hand in hand being ethnic minorities here in the UK. And when your fellow ethnics are needing help, it's a call to arms for our people to stand up and walk side by side with our fellow ethnics. And for lots of our community, you know, obviously this past week there's been Blackout Tuesday and um, I've seen a number of my uh colleagues and peers putting up the black square and across all their social media to signal that but is it enough enough to show support via our social medias should we be doing more could we be doing more i think 
you can pay lip services all you want for for this kind of thing and you can put up the black square and you can go yeah you know I'm I stand with you and I'm there but it has to follow through in your actions in life mm, yeah. not just your online life but in and and do you know if you see something online that you don't agree with and that isn't right you should call people out on that yeah but also do that in your real life as well in your day-to-day life if someone at work says something out of order or someone in your family says something out of order a get-together you don't feel ashamed or afraid to call someone out and say that's wrong yeah there is no good time and place to do those kind of things Mm. it has to be done there and then because not only is that person thinking that it's okay to say those things, but you don't know who they're saying in front of, who's impressionable enough yeah. to, to hear those things. Now, I, I've be just been thinking about our bubs mm. and, you know, what he might be, might, what he might hear when, as he's growing up. Yeah. And I don't want him to be the kind of man that has those kinds of views. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the things that we discuss on this show are things that are very important for our community, but also very important for my child to know that these things are wrong. A lot of the things that we talk about are wrongdoings within our community. And those are things that I don't want him to have to grow up experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. And, And part of that is hearing any of his relatives being racist. Of course. I cannot fathom the racism that I've heard about and that I've actually heard as well in my life I cannot fathom that happening when we have experienced some racism ourselves when you've experienced prejudice we've said this before on some of our other shows when you've experienced prejudice yourself how could you possibly then repeat that prejudice on somebody else on another group yeah it's yeah it's It's because you want to create a hierarchy and there shouldn't be a hierarchy hmm you never think that someone's beneath you or above you. No. And that's how I want our son to be raised anyway. And so I hope that that's how other people feel within our community or start to feel within our community, that they need to make things right for the next generation by correcting the previous generation and the generation before that as well, when yeah. they say things wrong. Yeah, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I just, I just feel like even some of today's generation and our next generation are still so, they're very tied to our cultural roots and when i say the cultural roots i mean the things that are embedded in our culture which really have no place within them things like the caste system um you know things like colorism that's still very much a today thing you know Mm. right now in india you know fair and lovely is one of the biggest selling products across the whole country and you know it's it's to make your skin lighter because like like you said you know lighter skin is is seen as beautiful and um and that's that's something that's that's a younger generation thing that's not a thing that's our older generation pushing that narrative yeah i've heard comments here in the not so distant past where people have commented on skin color of children yeah and things like that and it's just completely irrelevant mm. i mean it's just not even a thing that should be anyone should be passing comment on mm. and yet people still do because they think it's okay because that's what our parents did or that's what our grandparents did yeah and it's not okay. That's not. And I think, again, there's just a lot of education and re-education that needs to be done within our community with those things. Yeah. You know, it's not that we can't get away from it. It's that we need to, it's that we need to re-learn our language. Yeah. 
you know, and what we what we see. The words gora and kara yeah. and all of those kind of words, those need to be put aside. Mm. You know, we don't we don't need to be using those to describe people within our community. And it doesn't need to be they just don't those words just don't need to be said, basically. And once that stops, then I think it'll be easier for us to stop discriminating against other communities because of their skin color because we're not so obsessed with our own skin color yeah. and i think that's what that, the obsession with our skin color pervades across society then you know like that's yeah. how we see everything and that needs to stop i mean that needs to stop across society as a whole yeah, yeah. you know but it's such a deep rooted problem in our in our community because it all goes back to caste mm. and casteism is a whole other show yeah you know, that's a whole other thing, but it's very relevant to the conversation of anti-blackness. Yeah. Because a lot of the prejudice within our community towards each other stems from casteism and that also then goes, follows through yeah. to prejudice to other communities as well. Yeah. I just find it fascinating when we go back to, you know, talking about our generation and, and the generation underneath us. And, you know, you, like I said, you, you do get an, a lot of anti-black sentiment um, across all facets of our community and it's crazy to me especially when you see the the massive impact that black culture has had on our lives yeah you know I'm, I'm a rapper that's 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 who I am that's how I started off and that's who I still do right to this day and I I'm in massive gratitude and debt to black culture for enabling me to have a voice within something that I feel very, very passionate about and, and, a, and being part of that subculture for the last 25 years of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, that's I'm more closely connected to the subculture of hip-hop than I almost have aspects of the Asian community. Yep. Because, as I said, when I was growing up in Southall, the Punjabi community where I lived around, you know, I couldn't relate to that culture. And and hip hop and rap enabled me to have a voice and a freedom of speech and a way of thinking, and I could implement that in writing, and I felt immediately connected to that. And that's not me talking about the things that are happening in the nineties in the states with with the guns and drugs and mafioso style things that those guys used to speak about, but mm. they were very much talking about being a product of their environment and how they were you know, backs against the wall with what was happening in America at that time. And, you know, I could immediately relate to that with, with struggling how I was identity-wise growing up in 90s West London, where I was stuck between a community which I couldn't quite understand, but yet I was also trying to be British as well at the same time. And so there's a lot of conflicted um, thought processes, and I could only formulate that in writing, and I would only have been able to do that because of rap and hip-hop and that subculture and you know to this day to think you know what that culture has done for me and what it's led me in my life to become you know we are only married because of coming through musically yeah. Yeah. what i've what i've accomplished and, and being around those circles and having a family today is only because of that subculture i saw a really I saw an Instagram post that really made me think the other day. It was, think about what your personality would be if black culture didn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not immersed in hip hop. 
but hip hop has played a massive part in my life. Mm. R&B has been like the soundtrack of my life. Yeah, Neo you Soul. Know? Yeah, Neo Soul was the literally the soundtrack to me giving birth. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's been there through all of the important parts of my life. Black music has been the soundtrack, you know, like it's soundtracked yeah. all of those big things and plays such an important part for me that I can, yeah, I can only be thankful to black people and yeah. to black culture for, for bringing that. that. Yeah, yeah. For giving and, us that. And you talk about the Punjabi community that you grew up in. So in the 90s, Punjabi music, Bangra music in this country was using hip hop beats. Exactly. It was used and then it moved on to using garage beats. Yeah. You know, like they used black culture also, the fusion of those two things. And then you've got someone like Apache Indian. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. You know, who massively had, influenced from yeah, Raga culture. Exactly. There was just there's always been that fusion that we that we have been able to take from black culture. Yes. And I think we need to be thankful for that and also acknowledge the fact that they've made such a massive impact on our generation and the next generation in this country. Yeah. Um, it might not be something that our parents' generation can relate to, but it's definitely something that we can and that the young ones can. But that's why that's why I'm more that's why I'm just more bewildered by the, that lack of wholehearted support. Because I, I, can under, I can understand it from our elders. I can understand it from that community. They'll never understand black culture. No. They'll never get it. You know, for them, when, it, when they talk about black people, it's like you said in our last episode, that East African thought process, from, especially from that community that came over here in the UK. There's, there's a hierarchy basically in that aspect. They've still kept that same ideology and mindset to this country. Um, it's a big thing, obviously, with the Indian um, communities thinking the same about the black communities there um, and reflected that in today's society here but for our generation and our younger generation who have you know been so heavily influenced by black culture not only in obviously the music but the way we talk the way we dress mm -hmm. um, our everyday speak the slang you know it's for people growing up in for those parts of London and Birmingham and Manchester, even probably Newcastle, I don't know. But, you know, we're very much entwined with urban black culture in mm -hmm. what we are and how we are and how we live our lives. Yeah. And so when we're so closely connected to then not support our fellow ethnic minorities when they need it the most, I just find dumbfounding there's two points that i want to pick you up on there the first is about our parents generation yes they've come from east africa or wherever um and they have the some of them not all of them some of them have these long-held prejudices mm. we must call them out on that i know they might not be able to get their heads around it at first but we must tell them that and show them that it's not okay to speak that way definitely Secondly, we have borrowed from black culture massively. The only thing that I have a real problem with, with our generation and the next generation, is the use of the N-word. That word is not meant for us to use. Definitely. I, I hate the idea of that word being used by our community. And yet there are a lot of youngins who think that that is absolutely fine. Yeah. 
And it's not just singing along to songs or rapping along to songs when they're at a concert or whatever. It's saying it to their friends like it's some kind of form of, you know, greeting that's okay for them to use. Yeah. It's not. It's not okay. In the same way that you would not be okay for two pa- black men to be saying the word packy to each other as a form of greeting or a form of affection. Yeah. It's not. It's that You wouldn't be comfortable with that. No, of course not. And so... We should not be comfortable with the idea of using the N-word. Yeah, totally agree. It was always something that I didn't like. But thinking about it in the context of everything that we've been thinking about in the past week, it just feels really insidious and really kind of, it really does come from a very bad place. Mm, yeah. Because there's no thought put into it. And I think that's the problem. That, we, that those people who are saying it are not thinking about the word that they're actually saying. And I don't care when people say, oh, well, it's with an A and not an ER. <laughs> that makes no difference to me. Both sound the same. Both are not words for us to be using. We're not words for like us to reclaim in any way. <laughs> not for, we not we for never our, owned it. Definitely not for our community, for yeah, sure. And never... even, if it's, even if it's one of those things where, you know, you, you know, we've got a lot of Asians that um, have a number of black friends and they mix within the same circles and, you know, they, they use that word potentially within each, within each other, uh, you know, without any kind of fallout as if it's like, a, it's, a, it's an okay thing. It's not okay. It's still not okay. Yeah. It's still not okay, you know. Um, that word is a word that is entrenched in pain and that is their pain to reclaim mm. and be able to use that word as a as a form of empowerment if they choose to yeah there's still debate within the black community about whether that should be used or not yeah that pain is not our pain and is not our word to reclaim yeah completely agree. we cannot use that word there were many other words used against us but that word comes from a place that we were not part of yeah and so we should not be using that word. No, no, t- totally, definitely not. Um, but our struggles have been hand in hand with the black community over the last 40 and 50 years here in the UK. And, you know, for, for that, we need to show solidarity. We need to show that togetherness now more than ever. Um, but, in you know, in the right way. Yeah, because it feels like there was... A starting point, you know, the the immigration came around about the same time from the Commonwealth. Yeah. Um. So you know, our grandparents or our parents' generations were working alongside each other in the same industries. Yeah, yeah. You know, whether that was the hospitals or it was the factories and the foundries, like my dad. You know, transport various, system. Yeah, exactly. Various different industries, and yet it seems like along the way we just forgot about them i think you know when my brother was filming um the documentary about southall the young rebels the youth movement um about the 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 riots in 1979 you know they spoke to uh, a few of the members of the group misty roots who Mm -hmm. were very closely linked with southall yeah uh, during that time period there's a number of like um you know gigs that used to happen um at that time uh around the sort of the height of the the far right coming over and uh, invading Southall um, and having their their uh, meetings and stuff there, um, and you know they asked him like, why has um, there been that sort of separation within the the black and Asian community? It was so together in the seventies. How come it's not 
the same now to this day. Mm. You know, and his answer to that was um, the lead singer, I think, is what they, who they spoke to, is that um, Asians basically once the the far right subsided, they integrated in the UK, and then with that, with business and industry and commerce, they just felt now that they're on a higher level to our communities here and they f- they forgot about that togetherness and they they reset that class system uh in, and put that in place and so there is that separation now between our community and the asian community and i just found that really really sad um like you said earlier in the episode we've become the people that we hate you know, it's it's almost like an animal farm thing yeah. where, you know, once the hierarchy is put in place, the, you'll always have someone to find prejudice against. When uh, we came over to the UK, you know, the British community hated that. We set up homes in all these places and established ourselves. Then I know specifically in Southall, we had the Somali community that came in the 90s and all of a sudden we became those people saying, oh, look at these foreigners coming into our area and invading our town. What's going on? I remember people sneering at the Somali community yeah, in Southall and the fact that they didn't like them and they do this and they do that. And I'm from Newcastle and I remember hearing relatives yeah. say that when we used to come down to visit. And uh, yeah, I just, it didn't, it didn't compute with me. I just didn't mm. get it. I didn't understand. I'm, the community that I'm from, there wasn't that many black people in Newcastle in the 90s when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, in the 80s and 90s, there is a lot more now. So I think the dynamics changed up there, but I I left before that yeah. happened. I moved down to London. Um, but when I was growing up, that wasn't the way. So we were the community that was discriminated against because there was no other community to discriminate against yeah. at that point in Newcastle. So then to come down here and see us discriminating against other people used to blow my mind. I just didn't understand like how it would work and why people would do that. Yeah. It's, and that was as a child. It's yeah, completely bewildering. And then the same with like when the, the Eastern European community came over in the noughties, it's the same thing, yeah. you know, it's, it, there's always something to, something to f- discriminate against for our community. Mm. And it, it's, I don't know whether it's rife from how it was basically, thinking those same ideals in in India and, and Pakistan and Bangladesh and East Africa and all these places where our parents' generations come from. But, you know, that's the root of the, the core root of the problem. And it's never really going to subside until we speak up, until we say this is wrong, until our generation are the ones to, to, to call the shots. Mm. But we're a small podcast, a husband and wife team talking about issues and topics within the British Asian communities and taboos that we need to help eradicate. Um, For all these people that are listening here today, you know, I'd like to think and hope that you can relay this same message to members of your family and members of your communities to to speak up and and call something out which you feel is wrong that is wrong uh with discrimination and prejudice and anti-blackness specifically um you know we've spoken a lot today about the things that we feel that our community can do more but it's a much bigger conversation it's a much bigger discussion because this incident that's happened this week with george floyd shouldn't be the catalyst 
for our community to start changing and and rethinking the way we look at things. This should have been something that should have been in place many, many years ago. And if anything that comes out of this conversation and the things that have happened over the course of this past week um, is that our community need to have a long, hard look at ourselves and exactly what our ideals are, what our mindset is, and how we want our kids to be raised and how we want our kids to think because they're growing up in this society, a very multiracial, diverse society where we've got people from all different walks of life. Our elder generation encountered a lot of discrimination and oppression and racism here in the UK. I'd like to think that our kids will not endure that but with the way the world is right now there's every chance of that happening but we can't let our kids think in the same context themselves they need to be more open-minded they need to be able to be embracing other people's cultures other nationalities other races and especially now more than ever the anti-black sentiment amongst so much of our community needs to go it's outdated those views are very very passe and if we can play a small part into instilling that change amongst you and your families and your communities then that will help to bridge the gap between our respective communities that really shouldn't have been especially with the struggle that both of our communities have endured over our entire history here in the UK but if we can look to at least a small changes now, then in 10 to 20 years, we'll be looking back on this conversation, if our show is still listenable in that time period, that, oh my God, is that how it was back then? I'm so thankful it's not like that now. There are ways out there for us to educate ourselves. And uh, don't get it twisted. We are, me and you, still need to do a lot of work to educate ourselves yes definitely but if anyone else is interested in finding out more and trying to recognize the conscious bias that they have but also the unconscious bias they may have yes there are lots of resources out there so i've got a list of books that are on my reading list mm -hmm. which i will share with you guys as well in case you're interested there are many more beyond this as well but these are the the top five on my list at the moment uh, there's a book called When They Call You a Racist by Patrice Kahn Cullors, uh, who is one of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. There's the Good Immigrant UK and US versions, edited by Nikesh Shukla. There's How to Argue with a Racist by Dr. Adam Rutherford, which sounds fascinating. It's about the science behind everything. Yep. Natives. Race and Class in the Ruins of Empire by Akala, which I've seen loads of discussions about on Twitter over the past couple of years, and I still, I, I still haven't managed to read it yet, so that's definitely on the reading list. Mm -hmm. And Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo Lodge. She also has got a podcast that I listened to a couple of years ago called About Race, and I think I'm going to revisit that again now. But that was a fascinating listen when I listened to it a couple of years ago. I really recommend that. 
Fantastic. Um, I also want to recommend Elijah Lawal's The Clapback. That was recommended by Apu Vyas, a listener of this show, who listened to our last show. He also recommended Adam Rutherford's How to Argue with a Racist um, and said both should be mandatory reading for UK BAME. Um, and that's the point. You know, we are classed as BAME a lot of the time. Black, Asian, minority, ethnic. And we need to remember that it's not a word. BAME is not a word. It's an acronym for Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic. We are all groups. We are all individual groups, but we can also come together as a one big group that has a collective voice that's so much stronger as a group, which, which is why we need to not discriminate against each other. Mm. We need to not distance ourselves like Preeti Patel. We all like to sneer at Preeti Patel and we all like to be like, oh, we're not like her or Sajid David. But to be honest, our community is very much like both of those people. Definitely. You know, trying to align themselves to whiteness and distance themselves away from ethnicity and from blackness. Mm. And we need to stop that and remember that as a collective group of ethnic minorities within this country, we could have a stronger voice and make change happen much quicker and, you know, and make things a better place, make Britain as a better place for everyone if we work together as a collective. Yes, absolutely. Um, and one group that are trying to implement that change and to really enforce that is South Asians for Black Lives, which is um, an Instagram page um, that really details and, and is educating South Asians on dismantling anti-blackness and exploring South Asian identity. And it's a great page. There's a number of different points on there specifically where ways to support the movement um, and ways to eradicate anti-blackness there's a massive drive to try to get our community to to stop that way of thinking and south asians for black lives is um at the forefront of implementing that change um as is the blindian project um someone that we spoke about on last week's show talking about Black and South Asian couples um, encountering prejudice within their families um, and how we need to do more to eradicate anti-blackness there. So there is a massive drive to, to change that. Um, but it really does need day-to-day -day people to, to stop that thought process themselves. Um, South Asians for Black Lives have on their link, on their bio is... Um, a page that has a number of different organizations that you can donate to to help the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so I encourage you all to have a look on their bio. Um, so many different charities and organizations that need the help more than ever currently. Um, and that's another way you can show your support towards that community. And also, if you're interested, this isn't a conversation that started this week or even this year or even last year there's a film from 1992 called Mississippi Masala mm. which deals with this it's about a couple an Asian girl and a black American man a great Denzel Denzel Washington who face a lot of trouble and discrimination yeah because they want to be together now, that was made in 1992. If you can get a hold of it, I watched it years ago and it's brilliant. Um, if you can get a hold of a, copy of a copy of it, I've tried to see if it's streaming anywhere. It doesn't seem to be. But I would highly recommend watching that. Yeah. Because that conversation started, what, 
nearly 30 years ago. Yeah. And it's still going on now. Nothing's changed. No. We need to make things change. Yeah. Make that change and make it now amongst your community, amongst your family, amongst everybody. Right. Well, that's the end of this week's episode of The Native Immigrants. We'll be back next week for more of the same. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And we'll see you all then, people. Peace. Rest in peace to George Floyd.